Would you turn in your Bible, please, to the book of First Samuel, chapter 8? Hallelujah. And we do continue to release the wonderful things of the Lord into your life, in your bodies, your minds, your spirits, to all the things that pertain to you. You know, as I mentioned earlier, um, it was a great blessing to be able to be in um, France. In fact, last week we were just completing uh, the points of ministry. Um, and really, let's see, it's, uh, yeah, I'm starting to throw all my stuff back into suitcases and getting ready for the 345 wake-up call the next morning to be able to fly back home. I do want to uh, thank Monica Terrell for uh, her ministry, very powerfully received uh, there in France. But in the middle of, uh, in the, middle of the gathering, uh, I really has been the custom over the past couple of journeys. Um, I was just kind of waiting on the Lord for what he wanted from me. And um, suddenly the Lord started to speak about Samuel and the, uh, the places that he established to teach the people. And it just became like a rush into my spirit and an awareness that in so many ways, what we as saints have been called to do have paralleled this man's ministry. And I said, um, I, I, I don't really remember what I shared, but the Spirit of the Lord was so explosive in the gathering. And we interspersed prayer times in the midst of so many of the sessions. I think we had nine prayer times over three days uh, that were mixed in, and the people called out to the Lord. But on this particular one, um, there was an, un, an unexpected visitation of the Spirit. And throughout that night, God just continued to speak to me about how our calling as saints truly paralleled what God was trying to do with, with Samuel. Now, this past Wednesday Night Live, I spoke from 1 Samuel 3, where over and over again, God talked about how this young man, whose name means to not only be sensitive to Elohim, but to listen to Elohim and to write what or receive what had been spoken by Elohim, and then to do it. That's, that's a pretty good name. Um, but all of those passages where Samuel was established at the right hand of God before the Lord, and all of Israel from the south to the north recognized this, and that 
there had been a dearth of the word in the land, that there was no, no open, no Parat's vision, and that um, it, he was now going to begin to receive these words, and when God would speak to and through him, uh, the ears of the people would be shaken. It says tingle in the King James, but shaken is a better better thing, that, they, that his words would have that captivating effect, and that then, a very famous word, none of his words fell to the ground. And we have often talked about that from our studies in prophetic ministry, and we said, imagine this, that this guy, it must have meant that none of, none of his words ever failed. What's well, not really what it said. I mean, how, what would you think about that if you said, okay, now we're going we're gonna to give batting averages to the prophets, you know, Isaiah. He batted 954, which means that some of his kind of were shanked. Um, or Samuel, you know, oh, well, he's batting 1,000. You know, he never missed with his prophecies. You know, scriptures don't talk about that. You're supposed to judge prophecy, but to even think that that word means that out of all the prophets of the Old Testament, this guy never missed. Well, there were a lot of false prophets in the Old Testament, but the prophets of the Lord were speaking what God said. And so to say, well, here out of all of them, you know, Nathan and Gad and Isaiah and Amos and, you know, they all failed from time to time. But this guy, he never failed. That's not what this means. It meant that with the preponderance of references as to how Samuel was receiving words from God, was teaching people, and was then setting up schools so that the people would know how to relate to the Lord. When God spoke through him and, and whatever other word he was responsible for, he made sure that it wasn't forgotten. It wasn't discarded. It wasn't here and then, oh, we don't know where it is. We, he brought it forth so that it could be disseminated, distributed, and that the young ones would learn. And none of the words, because the progression of the word throughout 1 Samuel 3 was something that was profound, and it, was, it earmarked who he was, and it continued from that point. So he made it his statement that none of the words that God would share, none of the things that God would, would speak to him, and give him responsibility for would be discarded or, or, or thrown to the ground, that they would do something with it, and that they would, they would ask God to multiply that word so that it could be taught. And I would dare say that's been your heart. That's been our heart. And it's, since it is the word, that's the greatest blessing that that we would that we would ever recognize. So, you know, in in uh, a lot of things went on during those early times of, of Samuel's reign, but as judge and as prophet and as seer, um, you know, it's interesting that he was a prophet and seer. So he had that ability to perceive. He had that ability to hear and process. He had that that ability to teach and proclaim which is essential if you're going to be moving in any apostolic ministry. Um, but, but Samuel had that. And so he began to establish a circuit of basically schools. The main one 
was in Ramah, the place where uh, he was, uh, it was his home, and that, that place had a lot of significance in, in the history of Israel. But he, he established not only his dwelling place there, but a place called Naoth, which was kind of like a college. But then he patterned that. The Bible says that he was in Gilgal. That was a big one. Uh, he also was, was moving in uh, Mizpah, which, is, which is, a, is a great one, and in Bethel. Now, we know that by the time of, of Elijah's day, these main institutions of, of learning, the schools of the prophets, were including these seven in number. And, and that's, that's significant. That, that's really a significant thing. And powerful things happen through these places. You read about the gatherings of some of the students that came out of a particular place, Bethel in particular. Um, there was a life-changing anointing in that place. I mean, changing people's hearts into other, other ones. Jacob being changed to Israel there. Uh, the, the, what happens on earth needs to be changed to what God's plan is. There was a life-changing anointing in that place, and that was the group that impacted Saul. And it was, it was just an amazing uh, anointing that was conveyed from that, from that place. And, and the same can be said throughout the Old Testament. Any identification of where these particular schools were, there, there was a commonality of, of understanding what had been written, understanding how to hear from God, understanding what to do with what you heard, understanding how to minister to the Lord in song or on instruments, understanding how to, uh, to go forth and proclaim what you learned, knowing the timing of the Lord, knowing when it's to do something and not to do something. That was the framework, they, they suggest from the studies, of what was, was taught in this place. And there was a great anointing that the Lord uh, used around these places. Remember when Saul was, one of the times he was chasing David, and uh, David goes to Ramah to be with Samuel and Naoth, where, where the main base of these, this school was, of, of one of these schools. And Saul sent a contingent of soldiers, and they're coming to kill David. And they fall flat. They're prophesying. They go back. And another group comes, and they go back. And then Saul finally comes. The anointing is so strong upon that place and that calling that Saul falls to the ground. Whatever it is that the Spirit was doing, he sheds his clothes, and he's naked prophesying. And um, it's, it's just an amazing thing to see. I remember how many times in the early days, and it's not that God has lifted, it's just that God has gotten you acclimated for service. But I remember how many times people would come in here and just, just fall over. And, and then some who were, who were here said, well, it doesn't happen anymore. But it's interesting. So it's happening when these people come in, but it's not happening in you, so it's not happening. I mean, we have to be wise, and I think that's, that's, what, um, that's one of the things that Samuel was instituting. What did it mean to be a school of the prophets, anyway? The Nabir, that, that really meant a bubbling up. 
And not, uh, hear me now, it was called the Schools of the Prophets, but basically it was a school of learning how to sense what God was doing, learning how to apply it on the basis of what he had said, written in the past from his holy word. Uh, it was uh, applying what God was doing, and it was really a functional reality of moving in the spirit realm. That's what this was about. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm just really, really fascinated by this. Now, it says that as Samuel did this, and he, he really became the preeminent judge in the land, that um, God gave him peace, gave the nation peace. And in fact, it's fascinating in 1 Samuel 7, we're going to get to 1 Samuel 8 here in a minute. In 1 Samuel 7, the Philistines gather up, and they're going to come after Samuel and the people of God. And they're coming. And Samuel cries out to the Lord, offers a sacrifice. The people are pouring out drink offerings. And the Bible says, tell me if this sounds familiar, that there was such a profound thundering, a thundering that God released from that place that it absolutely rattled the Philistines. They were so overwhelmed by this sonic explosion of thunder, the Bible says, that they were basically incapacitated. And so many of the people who were gathered at Mizpah, they went running after the Philistines and just smote them. And from that day, the Bible says that the Philistines didn't want to have anything to do with Samuel. There was, you can read it. They, had, they were not going to make any type of attack while Samuel was in control. You can read that. And even one of the kings, the Amorites, not the Ammonites, but the Amorites, came up and said, look, we want to have a peace agreement with you. We're, 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 we're going to be a, want to be a most favored nation, but we can see that God is with you. We're not going to mess with you. And so during those days when before the king, before a king, Samuel was there and God was with them, and they were busy putting together these places where groups of young ones could come and be trained in how to be people that were responsive to the Spirit of God. It's like what Moses said, would, to be, would be to God that all of God's people would prophesy. Let, let them all know that. And, and I think that perhaps that was what God really wanted in the days of the judges? Now, obviously, there were a lot of problems in the days of the judges. But I think that the initial thing, which then is picked up by Samuel, where he's teaching the Word, and he's teaching, trying to establish in all of these pockets of schools that, that people would know God and respect Him. And God honored that. I mean, God blessed them. But as is the case, that kind of, uh, that kind of an environment uh, has to be 
embraced and preserved. And so often, people just in carnal ways don't really want it. They want to be like the world. They want to be, they want somebody else to hear from God instead of them being sensitive to the Lord. They want a king. They want to be a part of something big, but they don't want to have to pay the price to really know the God that's the biggest of all. And so, finally, we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and beginning at verse 1, it says, It came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. His sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Now, that's sad, isn't it? We talked about this a little bit today in Sunday school, and this was something that was shared about Rachel weeping um, through one of Monica's teachings in France. But uh, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, and it's, it's a sad reality that so often people who, um, who have a true experience from God, you know, you can't force that upon your progeny. You can't force that or to, you know, you can't impart it to make sure they're going to walk. You can only do your best to pray and to pattern it and to insist that they learn the ways of the Lord, but it's always up to the person to, to find God. And we see this sad example for Samuel. Can you imagine that? Here he is, a young boy that basically survived from the time he was weaned. And he... He grew up in a place that Shiloh that was really not following after God. And I think that's fair to say. Look at Eli, Hophni, Phinehas. I think that's fair to say. But yet he listened to the Lord. He cultivated the Lord. He saw God begin to move. He saw God demonstrate his power and protect and bless the people. And, and he saw many young people learning the things of the Lord in these schools. But his own child, his own sons, doing this, that had to be heartbreaking. And, you know, here's one of the things that seems to be a theme over this past month in particular. It's just a word of consolation to all of you, a word of, of um, peace that... Um, God knows your heart and he loves you and he loves your children and he loves your grandchildren. Don't let the enemy destroy you because of the actions of others, even if they're the actions of those that you brought into this world. Let's just continue to believe God as the story of the prodigal son where God was the father, he is the father, and his youngest son went out and did debaucherous things, and the father waited and watched. Um, let's believe that God somehow, some way, knows how to take care of his business. And it's not up to you. Don't let the enemy persecute you. Don't let the enemy um, accuse you of all kinds of malfeasance. Yeah, of course, all of us could do things 
If we could go back in life, I have at least two things that I would do over. <laughs> but we would all do things better if we could. But I know that the people in this house and the people of the saints, uh, they, you love the Lord. You devoted your life to him. And God, God's watching over his work to perform it. He that has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it. All things will work together for good to those who love God or are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know what happened to Samuel's sons eventually. I don't know. But here we have an indication that this man who grew up trusting God, who heard from God, who preserved the word, and who taught others and represented God in a powerful way, I can't explain how these young boys became what they, the Bible says they became. Um, you know, power and position can do strange things to people. And um, too much is given, much is required. Now, we're, we weren't there, we don't know. I hope and pray that these young men turned so that the father, his father, and, and then Samuel was able to protect. He loved, you look at the way Samuel loved Saul. The Bible says that. He mourned for Saul. And then look at the way that he embraced David. And David, whose heart was after the Lord, he who arguably didn't have the greatest of home environments when he was growing up. Um, he came and was embraced by Samuel, and Samuel instructed him. And I dare say that much of what David knew and imparted in the tabernacle, in the, in the way that the tabernacle was displayed, according to what the Scripture says and according to what just putting two and two together says, that came from Samuel. And that fatherly training and that insistence upon the Word that insistence upon cherishing the Word and meditating on the Lord. Where do you think, uh, you know, why did David gravitate to this man? Um, so I'm not excusing Samuel, and again, we weren't there. But I know your heart, and I know God knows your heart. And I just ask that the Spirit of the Lord, any of you who are in a situation, you're troubled about your children, you're troubled about what they may or may not be doing in relationship to God, I pray that the Spirit would assuage every measure of guilt right now and that that would be turned from a point of criticism that the enemy would try to use, self-inflicted wounds, uh, to a point of confidence and faith and that, that God would put an assurance in your heart that he's watching over yours and that he's in charge now. You know, Billy Graham used to talk about an age of accountability. That was a big one that we used to hear when we were growing up. And I'd think, okay, now wait, is it 12 or is it 13? When do I just have a carte blanche to do anything I want to do before I'm really in a peck of trouble? I come to that age of accountability. Did any of you hear that age of accountability? I know that was real big in the assemblies. I know you guys heard it. Of course, Debbie's lived a sinless life, so she probably never paid attention to those kinds of things. But, you know, the thing is, though, that I don't know, I don't know, um, I don't know what really happened to these guys, but 
all the people saw that this, these boys were not following after their father, and they made sure their father knew it too. I tell you one thing, you know, I used to hear, you know, I went to, to Bible college among a lot of preacher's kids, and a lot of those guys, I thought, what kind of a home were you raised in? You know, I was, I was living with the, ki- with the people that cleaned the church. And, you know, and I know, I know that what you're doing is wrong. I have no idea what kind of, some of these kids, their dads were the biggest wigs in the assemblies. And, and I thought, man, I wouldn't, I would not want to be out with this guy alone. The, the cops are probably after him. You know, and I, you saw that a lot. I'm not saying all the kids were that way, but uh, I heard one time a preacher said that that verse, watch and pray, was specifically if you were around pastor's kids when, uh, w- when the offering was being taken. You want to keep an eye on them. But anyway, I know that there are a lot of factors, and particularly people who are in ministry are, are really under the gun. But I, I know that Samuel was a, was a good person, and I can't explain. This isn't the message today. I just kind of got stuck on it. Uh, maybe it's blessing some of you. But if, if this guy, and if the, if the parable of the prodigal son, that being God the Father, and, and other examples, um, if, if these things happened, um, I have to know that God recognizes the pressures that came against those families, and that somehow, some way, God is watching over all of you. So be at peace today. In fact, a release that you're going to see God do some phenomenal things in, in the weeks and the months to come. And only God can do that. Only God can do it. Let him do it. But you keep following the Lord as Samuel did. So, verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah said to him, Behold, you're old. Your sons walk not in the ways. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great opener. How to win friends and influence people. Did, did Dale Carnegie teach any of that, Dennis? Now you're old and your kids are screwed. You know, that's not the way you begin a conversation. <laughs> You've lost the deal right there. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The thing displeased Samuel. Duh. When they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. It's interesting, this business of understanding that this rejection was not about Samuel, because I don't really see how these people could could have faulted. I mean, we're living in a blessed time. The enemy is afraid to attack us because the, the thunder is still resonating in their cranium. Uh, the Bible says also that during that time, Israel was able to take back many of the cities that the Philistines had taken peacefully. They just, the people of God just were blessed. They grew back into them. And, and these people had it good. These people had it great. And, but suddenly they wanted a king. 
They wanted to be like all the other nations. And God said, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. It's weird, this word for reject means more to, to uh, not, not value something and to denigrate it even though it is worth something and, and to want something to replace it and to love it more. That's the essence of this rejection. And it's, it's interesting that this word was used a number of times from this point in Samuel's ministry. Like, for instance, when um, Saul um, decided that to sacrifice was better than to obey. And Samuel says, God has rejected you from being king. And he has found one whose heart is after him. And that's interesting to understand what it means to, um, to find someone whose heart is devoted to God, whose spirit is going after God, because that means that the valuation is driving that person to love God and to want him more than anything, and to put that opposed to this rejection where, you know, the love was there, you decided it wasn't enough, and you wanted other things. And so Samuel says that because of that factoring, Saul was going to lose the kingdom because he no longer valued the word. He no longer valued. And, and he, Samuel also said to Saul that the valuation of the word, which was of utmost importance to Samuel in these schools, because you rejected the word of Yahweh, it's being taken from you. Isn't that something? In fact, it says in Hosea, famous word, the people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord. They wanted other things rather than to really embrace the word and to know not just the word, but the God of the word, and to know what the word is. So the, Philist the Pharisees during the time of Jesus, they knew the word. They said they knew the word, and they made sure everybody else knew that they knew the word. And they put so many tradition fences around the word that that was their righteousness but Jesus began to teach the same word, and the people saw power, and they said, what kind of guy is this? He preaches the same word as the, as the Pharisees preach, but yet he's speaking it with power. It's almost like he actually knows what this word is saying. And that was the essence of what Samuel was trying to teach to these people in these schools. It had to be based on the word. Isn't that something? We've heard that here before. No matter what is happening in the spirit realm, we have to see it in the word. It has to be established in the word because if you're not established in the word, anything can happen. And it's usually something that's more flesh than word and mostly influenced by the demonic. For, for Samuel, 
That's what had to happen. So God says, what I really want is these people to know my word, to know me, to understand what, what I've created them to be and how I relate to them and how my spirit wants to commune with them and move through them. I want them to be people of, of honor, and um, I'm going to bless that. I, I will protect that. I will put a hedge around that. You know, if army forces come, they're going to be smitten. If the enemy comes, thunder is going to come. And, and that's what God really wanted. And, and that's, I think, what we're going we're to experience in the days to come, in the years to come, as we're being sent around the world to teach, to establish doctrine, from the deep things of the word for a continent right now that's before us, but we're doing the same thing in different ways in, in Western Europe. Um, and God knows where else through this miracle of the live stream. That's your mission. That's our mission. But it sounds a whole lot like Samuel's mission. And, and I believe that God is not only going to be teaching and training people, but there are going to be continual demonstrations of the power of God, especially as the days become more dark, darkened. Um, God, God is going to do the same things for those children, those people who want him and want his word. And this is, this is Samuel. This, this is Samuel. In fact, you know, if, if I encourage you to read. It's not that many verses. It's a good read. Read what happened in the first part of Samuel. Even that crazy time when the elders rose up and said, hey, let's fetch the ark. And they go, went and they yanked it out of Shiloh, and they went and they got obliterated. The, you remember Ichabod, the glories departed. It says that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He was just young. Right after he'd been established, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And then the next thing that happens is that the elders take over and they go and fetch the ark and the nation is just thrown into a, a terrible moment. And I wonder what would have happened if you could have stopped at the end of that first sentence where the word of the Lord came through Samuel. And, and if the people had really submitted themselves to what God was going to say through Samuel, that whole story could have been different. That whole stealing of, away of the ark, the capturing of the ark, could have been different. Now, God's ways are God's ways. His word is forevermore established. But you can see that when the people are willing to come before the Lord and cherish his word, and be faithful in what God has established them in, and not be envious of every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's everywhere else, and every other word that's flying through, no matter whether it has significance or not. But if they'll be faithful to what God has called them to do, and cherish his word, and seek him, God will provide. If they don't, they won't. And, and I think that we're in those days now in a more profound way. And it's not about us. It's about us seeing 
the pattern in the Scripture and saying, this is what God has called us to. It's obvious that God has called us to this and that we are going to do everything we can to be faithful to this calling because it's about Him and it's about His Word that is forever settled in heaven. And it's about trying to show people how, do you, how are you supposed to function as people who are moving in the things of God's Spirit on the basis of His Word? Do you know how difficult that is? You've got people who don't believe the Word. You've got people who believe the demonic. You've got people who believe the Word but don't believe that God moves anymore. You've got people who, who say they're believing but they don't really know God. And, and, and sometimes it's more, almost like Simon the sorcerer. If you don't believe that, listen to what Jesus said. There were people that will come to me in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not work miracles? And what did God say? You know, you worked iniquity. You, I never knew you. You wouldn't let me know you. They, you rejected me. We've got to be people who embrace and value him. And that's going to be the, the essence as we are put forward in a more profound way to teach the nations in ways that we've not been pressed upon to do for the time is short. We've got to recognize that the themes that are here in Samuel's ministry and the establishment of these schools, one of the things about the days of Elijah was about these schools. And Jezebel and Ahab came after them, tried to obliterate them. You had people like Obadiah who, who secretively fed a hundred of these prophets. God says to Elijah, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. But then he and Elisha then embraced this. What happened after then? It seems like the enemy does ne never wanted this to happen, but yet that's our mission. You know, the days are coming where there are going to be pockets of people and nations who are trying to follow the Lord in this way. And whatever, whatever price you're paying for them to receive the Word and to communicate with God on behalf of the Word as sons and as saints before the throne, that's what's going to preserve them in the days to come. The book of Revelation, we see that the enemy hates what? The saints and the prophets. And, and I would say that that's probably more those who have devoted themselves to the holiness of God for what he originally wanted to do and those who are willing to open themselves and live a prophetic lifestyle. Those two things the enemy detests and wants to kill. Read it. It's there. Daniel says the enemy will try to wear out the saints and the kingdom will be given to the saints and then it will be, uh, there will be a tug of war as it were, but God wins out in the end. Our mission, and from this house and the houses of the saints, is to go into all the world and make disciples and to pattern, to pattern a people who love the heart of God, who cherish his word, 
who recognize that each of us were created by God fearfully and wonderfully. How do you, as a person, respond to God? What do you do with the things that he shows you? How do you obey? Uh, how do you minister in song? How do you minister as a minstrel before him? How do you go out and proclaim the word that God gives? How are you a representative of the martyria, the great cloud of witnesses, the great martyria of witnesses, the great martyria, as it were, those are people that are prophets. Their life is committed to God. They die daily. And so I guess what I'm saying, I don't know, I, I, probably by seminar time, I will have broken down all of these schools, looked at the, at the various factors that identified them, how they all came together and contributed to this focal point source that seemed to be either at Rama or Mizpah, and, and what God is saying to us through that as Pneumonicos people, as we go around the world, how do we let the Spirit coordinate these things where you recognize the foundational thing? And we've done this. We've had the initial saint school, 80 hours plus. We're, we're doing it again, writings. But it's going to be accentuated for the days to come, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be necessary um, for pockets of people around the world. Um, but we've, and we've got to do it for the time is short. Um, you know, it's funny, because, it's not funny, but the staging point for the, the sending away into Babylon was Ramah. That was the staging point. Isn't that weird? this main school. And truly, to me, the mystery Babylon is that the great mystery is that God has tried to do this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and the people just keep rejecting it. That's the greatest mystery of all. But finally, it's going to be fulfilled. Finally, and hopefully through your intercession in partnering with the Lord, we will see this great army built. And, but our job is as Samuel our job is to stand and be teachers, to be seers, to be prophetic, to cherish the word, and to give what we have to those who are hungry so that that can be established. This was the ministry here. You want to talk about the days of Elijah. That was, that was, that was big, and Elisha then took it. That was big. The hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, the word of God. I know this isn't a stem-winding service, but, uh, but I do know that this was a, a revelation. It was a rhema to me last week. Why it didn't dawn on me before, I don't know. But I'm asking that the Spirit will use all of us for the mission that lies ahead of us that this thing that you wanted from the very beginning, Father, that, it, that it, we will honor you and that we will be effective in, in being able to, to sow this into the world. So what is it that you are needing now? I think for the most part, maybe I'm missing it, but I see people that are that are very blessed. 
I see the blessing of the Lord on you. Yeah, maybe this isn't what you want it to be. Or We're always going to find that. It's like what God said, you know, I'm going to give you the land, but you're still going to have to fight so that you'll remember how to follow after me. And um, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful for the way he's watched over you. And I ask that God will pour out a, an unusual blessing in these weeks and months to come upon you and your family, your spiritual walk in him. We have a lot of work to do. You need to be healthy. You need to be strong. You need to be encouraged. You need to have the wind of the Spirit blow on the coals of his fire within you. Uh, you, need to, you need to have the, the hedge of the Lord around you. And you need to be encouraged. Um, God is with you. We have a lot of work to do. And um, I have the benefit of being able to go and see the hunger that is out there, that God is creating in the world. Many of you were able to see it for yourself in Brazil recently. Others were here tending to the, the stuff and being faithful before the Lord. You've heard, but you know this, this is just a fraction of what's coming. The demand upon us a good demand is going to be so great we we must have this outpouring and god has got to give us a greater dimension of representing this and i think that you know in the sunday school class today when zach was speaking from revelation 10 about the the angel that is is coming with the seven thunders to to finish to teleos, the mystery of God, um, the, 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 the essence of the word there, the, the book, the word. Well, man, what a blessing it is to be given that wonderful privilege to represent the deep things of the word. That's yours, and I'm grateful for it. So I speak blessing over all of you. I'm grateful for you. It's, uh, it's so nice to know that <sighs> as we look back over these years, it, to say it's been worth it is an understatement. Your reward in heaven is great. You, you didn't just sing I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. You've done it, and you continue to do it. And I'm, I'm grateful to serve with you, and I'm thankful for who you are in the Lord. And I speak blessing over you to all of our saints' family, wherever you may, may be watching, and especially down in Brazil. Today is the eighth anniversary of Pastor Luciano's church, and having a big celebration as they should. We speak blessing over them and all of those wonderful men and women who are hungry for God there. But I speak blessing. You've been faithful, and I ask that God would, would reward you in the days to come in unprecedented ways.
So, Father, we thank you for this. This is almost like a mea culpa. <laughs> uh, thank you. Help us to receive this alignment with your word and help us to be what you would ask us to be. Um, don't let us miss you. And don't let any of your words fall to the ground. Let us fulfill them and let us embody them. Let us do them. Let us teach them. We love you, Father. We love you. We don't ever want to reject you or your word. We love you. And um, I bless this people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. God bless, and um, have a wonderful week. Goodbye. <laughs>